0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to our Silver Jubilee episode of Quote Unquote with KK. Over the last one and a half year, we've been bringing different aspects and issues on our podcast, and we are glad to continue bringing you issues and perspectives from different leaders from different sectors. Today's episode is talking about the future of media and communication. Let me give you a short perspective. You know, when I started my career as a market research professional way back in 1984, in India, we had just a few media platforms. I was part of the television rating point, which was for the television audience measurement. I was part of the third national readership survey, which was for the news and the print. We had radio and we had external hoardings where people were able to communicate and advertise their products and services. Over the last 30 years, we have a plethora of new products and platforms that have emerged, not just social media. And during the lockdown and the pandemic, a lot has happened and transformed the whole media space. And to talk about the future of media and communication, I have a very astute businessman entrepreneur from the media business who also has been my alum from my MBA days. He is Ashish Basin, the chairman of Dentsu India and CEO and managing director of Dentsu Asia. His profile reads as follows. Tasked to expand the global footprint of Aegis Media in India, Ashish joined the London Headquarter Media and Marketing Conglomerate in June 2008. He built Dentsu Ages Network, Dan India, from a 50-member team, to a 3200 member powerhouse now it is the second largest advertising and marketing communications group in india overturning for the first time the existing rankings which has historically been in place for over 80 years i'm sure he'll talk about his experience in our podcast as well his vision of building a digital first agency and his one pnl philosophy has proven to be extremely successful His strong focus on key growth opportunities has resulted in several consecutive years of revenue growth for the business. He has recently been appointed as 2021 APAC FE Award Chairman. He has served as Head of Jury for the Asia-Pacific FE Awards 2017 and has served on several global juries including Cannes Lion 2016, Cannes Lion 2007, Dubai Linux 2008, Festival of Media Global 2013 at Montrox and Asia's most promising brands and leaders 2013 in Dubai. Ashi served and has served on most industry bodies in India including as President AAAI and Chairman MRUC and Chairman GoaFest, BARC, ABC and others. He has won awards. He has also been titled the Game Changer 2019 by Media News for you. He was selected at MXM's Media Person of the Year 2016. He is also the recipient of the Business Excellence Award for Media, CEO of the Year India and Chairman of the Year India. 2013, 2014, and 2015 at UK's Business Excellence Award. He has received the Indira Gandhi Super Achiever Award 2003 and was also a judge the Media Marketer of the Year at the Brief Media Awards and was Dentsu Age's Network Star Performer for the year 2017. Conferred with a PhD for outstanding contribution to the advertising and media industry, Ashish has like me, spent his whole lifetime in this whole business of media and has lived through this whole transformational journey of new media platforms, advertising, and communication. And it was righteous on our part as well, because we are content creators for different platforms, as to understand how this whole pace is going to shape up post-pandemic. So welcome to our podcast show, Ashish. It's a pleasure having you. And thank you for consenting to talk about.
1: Very happy to be here, Kapil, and look forward to a nice, engaging discussion. And yes, in the 33 years that I've been in advertising, the one thing that I can tell you is that if you were to put someone in, let's say, a time capsule then and bring him or her out now, they would definitely not even recognize the industry that we're talking about. So there has been significant amount of change, particularly in the area of media and particularly in the last five to 10 years. Exactly. Ashish, one quick
0: thing, because you've been on several industry bodies and you see the whole pandemic, actually, whole advertisers and communicators actually double down their spend on media and advertising. So what is the perspective now as things are opening up? Economy seems to be on double-digit growth. Very recently, IMF projected India to be on the top of the growth charts. What's your perspective? How is the industry going to shape up and is it growing to, going to get back its shine
1: and the growth numbers? Look, last year wasn't a great year for advertising and for a long period of time, it was really down to particularly some media like outdoor, et cetera, were really down to near zero. But then when the festive season happened and the first wave died down, it started picking up. This year is relatively better. It's I think as an industry, we'll definitely see double digit growth. But that's on a lower base because the base itself had gone lower. Overall, if you look at the long term, I think the future is very bright for advertising and media in India, at least for the next 10 years or so. And there are a few reasons for that. For one, we're relatively, if you look at on a per capita basis or, you know, relative to economy basis, we are not, we are underrepresented and therefore the only way it has to go is up. The second thing I'm very bullish about India for the next five to 10 years. I think there is a lot of potential for growth. The macroeconomic indicators seem to be right. Investment is now coming in. Rupee has been pretty steady. Monsoons have been good for two or three years in a row. And, you know, we underestimate the impact of monsoons, but those are really, really very important. So to me, it looks like that, All the stars seem to be getting aligned and that should portend a good future for us. Of course, the unknown factor in this still is that what if there is a third wave of COVID or something unexpected that happens and and that's one can't really rule that out. But other than that, if you look at a medium term or a long term perspective, I think Indian economy will do very well. And generally when the economy does well, advertising tends to do even better.
0: And obviously we have our bull market champion presenting to the finance minister stating apna time aayega." And on that theme, our next podcast is with Dr. Jagdish Seth, who's going to talk about the triad and the role of India in the, the new world order. So that's the perspective that we will be bringing on our next podcast as well. Moving on, Ashish, I wanted to now understand, given that the whole media industry or the media has got so you know fragmented, and this whole wave of digitization that we have seen during the pandemic, what, according to you, are you going to bet on platforms for your uh, bank for the buck for your
1: clients? Look, I think the trend on digital was already there before the pandemic. It was quite digital has been the fastest growing medium in India for the last four or five years, right? albeit on a much smaller scale. So traditionally for the last 20, 30 years, the largest medium has been television. Print has been a close second. And over the last few years, digital built itself up to the third medium, but it was growing much more rapidly on a smaller base. Now, what the pandemic has done, I don't think it's necessarily created new trends. I mean, it has created some new trends, but what it has done is it has accelerated trends significantly. And what I mean by that is that maybe grandparents would have gone on to Zoom, but it may have taken 5 or 10 years. The pandemic made that happen in 10 months, right? We could have been buying rice and wheat and potatoes online because e-commerce has become so big in China and various other markets that are ahead of us digitally. So it would have happened, but it may have taken 10 years for it to happen. The pandemic, because of the circumstances, made it happen in 10 months. So what it has done is that it has compressed the time period of digital's growth and therefore it's quite likely that this year itself digital may emerge as the second largest medium after television. To give you some broad numbers, approximately television reaches 750 million Indians, 7 let's say 75-80 crore Indians. Digital It depends on whose uh, numbers you're looking at, but Dentsu estimates, we feel that they reach roughly in India around 550, 600 million people, right? So there is going to come, but digital is growing much faster. So there is going to come a point, and I think we're about 18 to 24 months away from there, where the reach of digital will equal to the reach of television, right? The curve will go up and obviously television's curve can't go up on that stage. And if you look again, if you look at markets that have been ahead of us in this digital journey, that becomes, tends to become an inflection. Point because if you look at the big advertisers, the evergreens, these tend to be FMCGs, these tend to be automobiles, these tend to be, you know, large advertisers who are advertising almost throughout the year in normal times. Now, what do they want? They want to reach a large number of people, so the reach becomes important. So, the moment the reach of digital overtakes or becomes equal to the reach of television, I think its role will further not that it is less, uh, not that it is underestimated today but it will come under further further impetus on that. So this change that we've been seeing over the last few years accelerated by the pandemic, I feel in the next two or three years will continue and get even further accelerated because prices of data are so low in India, penetration of digital is improving, handset prices are falling, bandwidths are improving, etc. So I think that's a, that's a very clear trend that I, that I think is going to happen over the next few years.
0: Ashish, I must commend you as an entrepreneur and as media professional. You foresaw this whole digital wave way ahead of the other peers of yours. And you went ahead and made so many acquisitions around this space to prepare your venture and your agency to be able to be way ahead of the competitors. How did you imagine or reimagine this whole transformation coming across? Because when I met some of your India leadership, they were presenting to me a whole host of acquisitions and a bouquet of very specialist digital media assets that you acquired, not just in India, but abroad. What was your vision and how did you set your journey ensuring that you are in all aspects of the digital media space?
1: Look, that has really worked out very well for us, particularly in this time of the pandemic, because while all the other media really suffered digital, I would say suffered relatively less or or actually didn't suffer in some cases, it actually benefited in some cases. So that did indeed help us. But you sometimes look smarter and more strategic. In hindsight than otherwise, there was like they say necessity is a mother of all invention in some ways. So I was coming into the market 80 years late. My competitors WPP IPG when I was bringing Aegis into India, which then became Denso Aegis into India at that stage, they were huge. They were behemoths on that. And for the last 80 plus years, the number one and two ranking in India had not changed since the okay. advent of WPP through what was then Hindustan Thompson and yeah. JWT. I think that was in 1920s, 29, if I'm not mistaken. And IPG came in through Lintas, which was in 1939. And I was coming in 2008, just after Lehman Brothers had happened, right? So if I continued doing, and I had 30, 40, 50 people, these people had 10,000 people, thousands of people, etc. Now, if I had continued doing and trying to take them on on their terrain and they were all very happy contented and doing very well in making a lot of money out of television and print because those were the two largest medium my chances of survival would have been less and the second bit was that when I was looking since I was looking after Southeast Asia what we then called as South Asia which included Southeast Asia and South Asia greater South I could see that digital was growing much more rapidly and it was a matter of time it was going to come into India the trend to me was very clear and so I said this is an area where we can establish leadership, even though we're relatively late because everybody is new in that area. Digital in itself was in its nascent stages. So we first focused on performance marketing. We acquired a company, then the largest search company called Communicate2, founded by Vivek Bhargav, and we made it into iProspect. And that made us leaders in search and performance and then on the back of that we grew isobar and we acquired other companies like what consult who were leaders in social media and and so on and like you said complemented the bouquet by bringing in expertise so some expertise we grew some expertise we acquired we could have grown those, those as well but it would have taken me five years to set up a performance marketing company of that scale and size and since the biggest partner was available and our chemistry matched, and our and it and it made good business sense. We thought it was better to partner them. So some were partnerships, some were organically done. We went very heavy in digital, and in before the pandemic in 2019, the market was about 18, 19 percent digital. We were even then getting 50 percent of our, nearly 50 percent of our revenues. So we were two and a half times ahead of the market in terms of percentage of that. And when the pandemic happened, that did stand us in good stead. Of course, equally there were other parts of our business which were, you know, businesses like out of home like events etc which were impacted like rest of the world was but having a higher sort of preponderance on digital did help us out a lot in that period
0: you know in some of our circles you are called the man who saw tomorrow the digital tomorrow (laughs) now on this topic i just want you to give me the future what are those digital platforms that you are going to really bet on Is it going to be WhatsApp, is it going to be social media, Twitter, Facebook types, or is it going to be the OTT or is it the video on demand or the chatbots or AR, VR platforms or the online digital print and the digital platforms? What
1: are the ones that are you going to really bet on in future? So look, I think it's going to be all of them, but I don't think that should be the focus of an agency, the platforms, right? Because platforms today, one may do better, tomorrow another may do better. There may be others that might come up, which we haven't even imagined today and so on and so forth. So you always have to be on the lookout to see where is the consumer trend going and adapt to that. But more importantly, which are the areas where you want to build your skill sets? Because just like how we built our skill sets in digital marketing when the rest of the country hadn't, we can't now only rely upon that because sooner or later, either people have caught up or will continue to catch up and over a period of time your prime mover advantage will obviously keep getting blunted if you don't do new things I think our focus now the next focus has to be in the areas of you know cloud marketing is going to become very very big particularly as you move more and more into real-time marketing the quantum of data that we are generating as consumers the footprint of data is, is humongous and I don't think any of us Really know how to, all of us talk a lot about it, but we don't know how to really handle big data in that sense. There are platforms like, for example, Salesforce, for example, Adobe, where agencies have, at best, I would say, cursory or basic knowledge of how to integrate their clients' data fully and utilize it for marketing purposes. I think those are the kind of areas, the MarTech areas, which I, and you know, where technology meets design meets data I think that's where the soft the sweet spot is going to lie for the next five years and I would like to we've already started building huge amount of capabilities in that area because you always have to invest ahead of the curve. what you're doing right. today is going to help you two or three years from now and at best our knowledge in those areas are rudimentary and sometimes as an industry itself globally and definitely as india so because i have the advantage of looking after asia pacific and i and i have we have markets like australia for example like singapore some of which are ahead of india in certain areas etc i think there are learnings from there which we can very easily transpose on the other hand we have tech capabilities we have intelligent people who can do things better faster and at a much lower cost so if you can make a marriage of that happen And now that's easier said than done, I know. But if you can make that happen, I believe agencies can have a very strong future, somewhat like what the tech industry, you know, where the Infosys of the Worlds and the Vipros of the world did 20, 30 years ago. The agencies can start falling into that platform because I can tell you the quality of Indian manpower is second to none. Our tech capabilities are second to none. So if we can just match this together and bring in that skill set, I feel the future will be bright. So I will be concentrating a lot in data analytics, CRM, Adobe, Salesforce, MarTech, building in those capabilities.
0: Ashish, I wanted to discuss two anti-trends where this whole data and understanding of the consumer cohort and collecting of the data for us to be a better, to do better analytics. You know, one is this whole issue of privacy. Who owns the data? and who gives the permission to use that data, right? And the second issue is about, you know, What we call as ability to restrict or not allow excessive blasting of, you know, ads and communication. Now, I've been a victim of both of them in the past. You know, we decided that uh, this podcast will be free of cost for people who want to learn. It's it's my service to the world. I don't want ads. But guys like YouTube, one fine day, send us a message that, you know, you're not allowing ads, but we have the right to enforce ads on whatever cohorts that their data and the advertisers want. And the second thing is, today I see every day on Facebook or on YouTube or any other platform that I am, very wasteful ads which don't work on, or not amenable to what I'm really looking for from a marketer. And that is where this whole issue of, you know, are they really getting the right data? Are they really making the right analytics? And the third issue is what happened a few months back on this whole privacy issue of Facebook and WhatsApp. So how do you address this whole industry dichotomy of the privacy respecting the data of whoever is contributing? At the same time, ensuring that the right product and right services are pitched at to the right cohort on a better analytics. I mean, I just made a comment on my, my playlist on Licious when they raised their fund. I said, look, every day I go on Facebook, you give me this ad of Licious. I'm, I'm a veggie, pure veggie. It's a wasteful one. I do not know what their analytics are. Two or three times I've done that ad block, but they keep sending it to me. This yes. is uh, the industry where in future, this whole wastefulness needs to stop. At the same time, consent by actually helping through the privacy filters allows you to get better data to do a better analytics and pitching to the
1: right consumer cohort. I think you're raising very important points and I think privacy is really, really fundamental to this and you have to respect the privacy of the consumer irrespective of the brand, irrespective of the platform. And I personally feel that going forward will be more and more into permission-based marketing and, and I think that even that permission-based marketing will evolve with better use of technology. It's not going to be that somebody just sends you a laundry list of terms and conditions and you have no option but to click on it and therefore then you've given away all your permissions. I think there will be with new laws laws coming in with new pressures coming in. There'll be a refinement of that process as we go by. At one stage, there was nothing. Then there's been something put into it. But I and I, I think it's part of a journey where it's got to be refined even more. Laws are getting stricter. I mean, started with GDPR. The law that India is proposing, you know, one thing about India is that we swing like a pendulum from almost having nothing to literally if you actually follow the law to the proposed to be there, not only will you you'll be able to do nothing, you'll, you'll again be able to do nothing because because it will it's, take you to that level. So the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle. It lies with giving the power back to the consumer, back to the viewer or the audience so that he or she can choose what is it that they want to share in what context with whom. And that I think a lot of technology will have to be used because the scale is now so big to ensure that it's easily done. Even today you can actually prevent a lot of your data from being used, etc. but the process is so complex and sometimes so cumbersome that a lay person does not even know it or even even it knows it will not bother to, to do that. So I think that that's gonna evolve over a period of time. Now talking about wastage, you know, actually digital media in a sense, its biggest strength is that it can reduce wastage. Nothing can eliminate wastage. You may have heard the famous adage that I know 50% of my advertising money is wasted, but I don't know which half. So, for example, <laughs> no until sir. until a few years ago, let's say I was selling Mercedes cars in the city of Bombay, right, and let's say I know that there are, there are let's say, 10,000 people who are my potential customers or who are customers are likely to buy. What could I do? I would only put an ad in Times of India in Bombay, which may reach 10 million people, million people or whatever, and I, I might think that out of that million people, I hope these 10,000 also see it. So I know fully well as I'm placing that ad that 90% of plus of it is going to go waste. Right, but I don't know where those 10,000 lie. So therefore I have no choice and I'm doing that right. Came in digital, you started getting more and more knowledge and therefore you could actually narrow it down. You can never eliminate wastage, but you can actually narrow it down and therefore get it to a level where that wastage level is is reduced. Now, whoever kept serving you licious ads when you're a vegetarian obviously didn't do that, didn't do their job well enough or the algorithm didn't do the job well enough. The ultimate aim has to be that. You bring in more efficiencies by eliminating that. The absolute ultimate, what should I say, the holy grail of advertising, which I do hope I am able to see before my working days in advertising are over, is that if I want to give an ad to couple, I give an ad to couple, right? So it's one to one. And The power of one the power of one but that to a large extent you still can if you if you really because particularly if you look in the west there's a lot of PII personally identifiable data available so you have to rely less and less on deterministic data and so therefore it is theoretically possible to at least do that or to narrow it down significantly but there is another twist to that the thing that we underestimate the most in advertising because we are always talking media money is the power of creativity right I may serve the ad to you but it may just leave you untouched I may have reached you but it may not do anything for you on the other hand I may make an ad which you may actually go out and search for that ad, and it might significantly influence you correct so the creative that will appeal to couple may be different from a creative will appeal to another person who may be in the same economic class same income group same socio-economic status whatever the usual old ways of classification that we used to use they may be almost identical individuals but no two individuals are identical i mean you may like green i may like blue it's as simple as that so The other part of this is not just reaching the ad to the person, but what is it that you're reaching to that person? And I think that needs a lot of AI, ML development, which will happen over a period of time. And there are a lot of tools, for example, we've got people, our data people who are working on making sure that you're able to, I am able to reach and add to Kapil, which Kapil likes. If he's a vegetarian, if he reads a certain type of books, I now know have a lot of knowledge about Kapil because if I've analyzed my data well, I know which, you know, it's, it's almost scary the kind of digital footprint we leave. I know which movies you watch. I know which books you read. I, I know what kind of websites you go to. I know what you buy. I know what you don't buy and so on and so forth. So I can actually paint a very good picture of couple. when I say paint, I mean painted through data, a very good picture of couple. And therefore, if I can not only reach the ad to couple, but craft that ad. So that it is appealing to couple as an individual that is the Holy Grail of advertising and we're we're taking steps on the media side. I think we've got somewhere there on the creative side. We still have a long way to go, but once we get to that, that's when you know the point you spoke about reduction of wastage. I can't say elimination. I think that that will be a good day. for us to get there. One of the
0: threats I'm also perceiving is this garden walling now. Apple is now trying to create their own garden wall. Google is trying to do that. This morning, my YouTube link on my, my social playlist was blocked by Facebook. How do you ensure people like us who are actually the celebrities and content creators be blocked and it's going to be detrimental to some of these platforms in the future? And at the same time, you are not going to get the right data for analytics as well because cross-platform data would not flow of a consumer.
1: Which is why for any client now, first-party data becomes most valuable. And what will amaze you is that very large clients, which are multinationals, very advanced clients, their own left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. I mean, let's say if they have a real estate business or a hotels business or an FMCG business, et cetera, as as different wings, they are not yet being able to bring it all together and utilize it to the best of their ability. Even large conglomerates, you know, who should have all the resources and all the capabilities are still not being able to do it. And I think as time goes by, the importance of first party data, particularly as more and more as the walls of the world, Gardens go higher and as privacy laws become stronger, et cetera, the value of that first party data will become huge. So You know, we have some companies which are and, and some services which are really so large that it touch millions and millions of consumers. Think of Indian railways. Think of all the telecom companies. Think of some of the large FMCG companies. I mean, they they probably have many millions and millions of people who they are with a periodicity regularity getting in touch with maybe every week, sometimes every day, sometimes every month, etc. So there's a huge amount of first party data that clients can start cleaning up, analyzing and using much better than what they are so that their dependence becomes less. Equally, there will also be sanitized versions of legitimately available data which you can then pool together. Data pooling Become more and more of a I mean, look look at how many banks are there, how many insurance companies are there, how many mutual funds are there, and how much of data do they have now if, in a sanitized way, if without without sort of leading it to an individual with compliant compliant with all laws, if you were able to have cohorts formed from there or buckets formed from there, that can be very valuable data to that industry itself as well as to people from that industry who want to reach their consumers or understand their consumers better. So I think going forward, there will be two. Big trends. One is that the first party data will become very more and more important. Second thing is data pooling, data cooperation or collaboration across maybe across industries will start becoming key. And the third thing is the walled gardens themselves will keep trying to find ways how they can gather, how their garden can become larger so the garden in itself starts becoming kind of a universe. So, you know, if you look at an Amazon, how many transactions must be happening there? How many people must be going there for watching video and, and for finding out more about products? So the quantum of data each of these people is going to sit on as time goes by is going to in itself become a universe or an ecosystem of sorts. So we're clearly heading towards that trend and my advice to all clients always is that give a lot of emphasis to your first party data. You need to make that investment now. Data is a perishable commodity and if you make the investments just now, your learning curve is not going to build up and three years later when you do decide to do it, you'll find yourself way behind some of your other competitors who who would have taken a lead over there.
0: One last question on this issue, and then we'll move on to some other issues as well. We've got a whole list of issues that we want to discuss. Is personalization. Today, whether it's the advertiser or whether it's the platform or agencies like you, there is a research that we were going through and it says that only 30% of the current communication is personalized. You know, it's like the email where, you know, you have just put a header, dear Ashish, and then the same thing. But there's that sort of personalization that's happening in our digital media and communication. How do you think that we can build up this personalization that I, as a consumer, feel
1: empathy towards? the messaging and the communication that's coming towards me? I haven't read this research, but I think it is hugely exaggerating. If it says 30% of the communication is personalized, my view will probably be less than 10%. It'll oh, be okay. <laughs> so it's even worse. <laughs> Definitely even worse than that. And look, therein lies the answer which I was speaking to you a little while earlier of the holy grail of advertising where... I am able to get you as a person an ad which only goes to you and the content of that is also customized to you. So we're probably five to ten years away from this because this will need a lot of AI, ML sort of uh, learning curves to be built up and then to be utilized on that. So we are at least five to ten years away from it, but we're heading towards that direction. The challenge is going to be that we've all grown up in a broadcast era. So we're all used to the brand managers and everybody, we are used to controlling the, you know, the content that we want to give out or the messaging that we want to give out. You create an ad, you work for months on it, you research it and then you put it out and then it used to run for three months, six months, whatever, right? So we, that's, that's the era we are used to. Today, the content, unfortunately and scarily is not in your hands. It's in the hands of the consumer. You may create right. whatever. You want the moment you put it up, wherever, whether on television or on Twitter or on any social media handle, etc. Within minutes, it's out of your control, and it's no longer what you want to talk about your brand. It's what the customer is talking about your brand. So, from learning to talk, we have to learn to listen. Our listening capabilities have to. When I say listening, I mean literally the technical listening as well as understanding of the feedback that the consumer is giving. You don't now need too much of market research. You know, earlier we used to do focus groups and do a sample of hundred people. Today you put one thing you, we do a b testing online sometimes you know as a, in a test kind of a way you put up something whether this is better or that is better within 15 minutes you have 5000 responses in some cases hundred thousand responses right so it, it's almost becoming real-time and that's where as we and we, we can talk about this a little later as we move more towards a real-time marketing scenario we'll also have to get into real-time listening scenario and that's the scary part. I think marketers agencies professionals like all of us are used to talking more and listening less. I think we have to unlearn a lot and relearn that very quickly.
0: You know, just to add to it, I invested in a startup which was doing customer transmigration, a platform which was using AI ML and a whole host of things, was able to use chatbots on different platforms because of the preparedness of the advertiser not there to interact with the consumer twenty-four by seven on different issues. And that's where the intelligence of our system played on it and was able to have a conversational interaction. And that's what I was also asking is is that sort of personalization very near or it's still in a distant future
1: i think they're heading there near and future is very hard to predict in today's world something you think will not happen for 20 years happens in two months right so right and on the other hand, something which looks very obvious and you feel this should happen and should be around the corner and you're waiting for it even five years later. I mean, let me give you an example. We yet don't have common agreed metrics on digital for measurement. So this should this is the most measurable medium, right okay. or wrong television. You have TRP's right or readership. You have readership survey, IRS, etc. Even today with billions of dollars now being spent on digital, we don't have common agreed metrics or measurement systems. We've got a lot of measurement, but it's not a common agreed currency. So somebody says, if you watched my ad for three seconds, it's a view. Somebody says, no, if you watch for 10 seconds, it's a view. Somebody says if 50% pixels have been uploaded, it's a view. So we haven't yet agreed as an industry, what's that common metric? The ecosystem needs to evolve itself and measurement. I mean, this is the most measurable system, the most measurable medium, but we don't have an agreed equivalent of a. ERP or a IRS study on that. So to my mind, this is very obvious it should have happened five years ago. But five years later, we are still debating and discussing that. And maybe five years later, we'll, from now also, we might still be debating and discussing. So it's very hard to predict what will, how soon or fast it will happen. It, it always surprises you. But I think that's the direction of travel for sure.
0: So obviously, I'm sure you're going to take the leadership in at least evolving certain standards of what the measurement, what the I- consumer metrics are going to be.
1: I have unsuccessfully championed that for a while but one thing I've realized about us Indians is that we love to talk we are you know that argumentative Indian is a right phrase to describe us because we want a Ferrari from day one we may not even have a bullock cart to get it off the road but my whole thinking and my whole sort of plea to my colleagues in the industry always is okay let's get a basic car going and then we'll figure out how to make it a Ferrari let's not try to build a Ferrari from day one because then we'll never get off the ground and that's exactly what's happening we okay, because Because we are so intelligent and so knowledgeable and know the best of everywhere, we've we've been talking and discussing and debating that, but we really haven't got it off the ground yet. So I'm an optimist and I do hope in the next 12 to 24 months we will start seeing some solutions and hopefully then those will evolve and and become a currency. But but uh, I'll be the first one to admit that this should have been there five years ago, three years ago at least. You know, I've been the victim of this whole digital
0: era now that we have the Telemedicine Act and the Digital Health Initiative, National Digital Health. And I'm struggling to create a segmentation of the healthcare consumer, digital healthcare consumer who is going to come on this. And I'm going to be making a keynote next month. And the traditional ad agency model and consumer graphic and your, your sociographic and all just doesn't seem to blend well with the healthcare and digital usage of healthcare for healthcare on different platforms and I'm struggling to actually put this together to present it as a keynote in front of the minister next month as to how the Indian consumer is going to evolve so I completely empathize from where this is all erupting or you know emerging for me as well anyway ashish I want to move on to something which I call as dark media the whole social media led the whole power to the hands of the the common man. But at the same time, we are seeing over the last few years, particularly election being won, the politics, the emergence of what I call as dark media. So you have fake news, you have a lot of violence and other instigated issues. You also have Cambridge Analytica, who's trying to rig a lot of things. And then in between, you also get certain celebrities who are endorsing certain brands, stepping up to do certain things in public life, which also gets them or gets them into the dark media. I'm sure you know when you put millions of dollars behind certain celebrities, influencers, and, and when certain incidents like these happen, it's the dark media that starts activating and then the real media and the real consumer starts putting their backlash and it affects the brand, the identity of the celebrity or the influencer. How are you prepared now to face these sort of challenges as digital is going to go mainstream?
1: Look, I think you've raised two very tricky and very important points. First of all, this whole bit of fake news. I think it's a real problem. I don't think it's a media problem. I think it's a societal problem. I fear that one day a mini riot or even a mini war or something might get triggered just out of fake news. It's as as severe and as bad as that because, because of the sheer speed and cleverness in which these fake items are sometimes seeded and how fast they spread across countries, across cities, across countries, you know, almost literally within minutes it, it can go haywire. I think there is a huge amount of responsibility on tech giants here because they have all the money and they have the smartest people work for them and they have the technology because now the solution to this is only tech. The scale of it is too big for there to be manual monitoring or anything meaningfully done, millions and millions of users across hundreds and thousands of platforms, etc. It's, it's not possible. So I think the tech majors who still control, let's say between three, four of them, 80, 90, 80% of at least the world where advertising happens on that, they have to use their intelligence, their technology and put it as a part of the task of their people to find out solutions to these. How do you filter these out? How do you start detecting? Today, some of the fakes are so real that you can't make, I mean, a layman will never be able to make out whether it is real or it is fake. If you don't self-regulate yourself, that will force the governments to start regulating you. The moment that happens, then you start crying that look there is censorship there is no freedom of speech this and the other so it is upon the industry itself the ecosystem itself to self-regulate itself to use the technology that it has to start again you may not be able to eliminate, but at least minimizing these to the extent which is possible, right? The bit on influencers that you use, I think it has many facets to it. Influencers do have a very important role because they connect the brand to the consumer. If they're credible, they bring in credibility. They're able to lend their personality to the brand. So there are a lot of advantages, but equally they now carry certain responsibilities. I mean, ASCII's code has made it clear that at least basic due diligence they've got to do on the product that they are supporting or promoting, etc. So some responsibility has gone on that again there you can't go overboard you can't expect an influencer to know the technical aspects of production of a product whether it is this harmful or that harmful so there's a limitation of what an influencer can do but basic due diligence for sure everyone needs to do some influencers have had sometimes very positive uh, influence that they have on the brand and that's got to do with how you use the influencer there you know some celebrities not just influencers but let's say celebrities even in advertising the same person is endorsing 30 products at the same time at the end of it you will remember the celebrity you may not even remember the product on the other hand 30 years later if i just tell you this i'll just give you a dialogue who was a celebrity a couple day right is famous uh, say. even 30 years later people remember it uh, that they uh, Dev said da because he was a rustic guy who had come from Haryana he was a new India where from somebody from a small town could for the first time come in, and a very macho man in those days etc and he was talking about shape there was the a perfect fit so you so you remember the celebrity a few years ago you know there was rumors that there were worms found in Cadbury's chocolate they immediately used Amitabh Bachchan who at that time was you know because of Banega Karun was at the was the epitome of trust so to speak and very soon and they ran a campaign including television I remember and outdoor etc cetera, etc cetera. and that worked well because Amitabh stood for trust and the brand needed trust so I think where the character of the brand the essence of the brand and the essence of the celebrity are in sync it actually works well because authenticity is key. Where the where it is just you're just sticking the celebrity over there. I think that's to my mind not the best way to use it for the brand. And in times like these, even celebrities have to be careful because they're going to be held somewhat accountable for what they do. I, I think in some cases they're held over accountable, but at least some accountability they'll also have to start carrying. So it's a fine mix and balance. And it's not something, it's not like the same panacea, the same medicine for every ailment. It's, it's a horses for courses solution that you've got to find. In fact, I
0: guess uh, Amitabh and KBC are into another controversy for his own personal statements in social media. True. So the whole trust factor is now eroding as well.
1: And it's a it's an ever evolving thing, you know. I remember a few years ago Sachin Tendulkar had just retired from cricket, I think, and he was travelling somewhere and his baggage got misplaced by British Airways in Heathrow. And so British Airways may have spent, let's say, a few hundred crores before that advertising in India over the last 10, 20 years or whatever. And you know, very respected brand. Indians hold British Airways in high esteem. And Sachin lost his bag and he tweeted Something that you know, I mean, he throw my kit bag is gone, my bag is gone, or something, whatever. And within minutes, a bot or some somebody somewhere said, "Please give your name, profession, what do you do, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. You know, one of those standard responses. He tweeted that also, and. Within literally minutes all over the world, about a million tweets or retweets, etc. had happened asking Sachin Tendulkar, what's your probation? What do you do? (laughs) And so on and so forth. So all the credibility that British Airways might have built over the previous 10 years spending 100 crores or more in advertising can get eroded within 15 minutes by one tweet. And that's when I say the conversation is no longer in your hands. It's in the hands of the consumer. And you've got to learn to listen. And you've got to learn to react real time on that. And maybe there was nothing wrong with that response. I mean, if a customer writes in, you ask what's your name, what do you do, etc. But that's where intelligence artificial or otherwise comes in that who are you asking that question to right so so it's it's a very scary world because because it's out of your control and I think marketeers are grappling with that because they are used to being having their communication entirely and 100% in their control well crafted well formulated put out in the way they want to put it out that luxury unfortunately no longer exists.
0: In fact, I have had a very different experience on a celebrity which endorsed certain cosmetic brands, couple of bank, and a couple of other products, including an airline. And this person actually ended up before the promotion of the film on a JNU platform. And people started bashing the brand saying you should remove this celebrity as your brand endorser. And one of the humans behind the the response on the social media started apologizing, which is not their issue. And this kind of led into another backfire of, you know, response to something where you're not responsible as well. So how do you manage these sort of listening tools and listening platforms as well, which are running now 24 by seven because social media or the dark media never sleeps?
1: Well, I think the key thing now is there are two things. One is your intelligence, which is a common, which will always be a combination of artificial, but more importantly, human intelligence. Right. And thankfully, so far, they haven't found a full substitute for the human brain. So there is a big need for human intelligence there. And the other is your agility, because you don't now have time to analyze everything available, all the data available and then take you know, a few days, make a presentation, think about it, etc. It's all about real time response and how soon you respond. Sometimes determines what's going to be the course of action. Sometimes just a simple sorry is a response you need to give, but when do you give it and how do you give it is the most crucial thing. Sometimes you have to clarify your point of view And the faster you are able to do it in a more intelligent and articulate manner that you're able to do it, the better it is. Sometimes you have to show sensitivity to an issue. Sometimes you have to just withdraw what you're doing if you think you've made a mistake and so on and so forth, right? So. It's the intelligence plus the speed of response that's going to become key. And again, it's can be positively used. The best example of that was Oreo. you know, in a few years ago in the Super Bowl finals in the US, the lights went off, which is something unheard. But within a few seconds of that, they were able to bring out an ad, which is amazing how they did it because nobody who would have expected lights going off in a, in a Super Bowl, right? Where it said that don't worry. You can dunk your Oreo. something to the effect that you can dunk your Oreo even in the dark darkness and habit or whatever, but it was playing on that light going off from the situation instantaneousness of it and that became viral in the whole world. I mean, sitting here in India, all of us within minutes saw it and so on and so forth. Now the same quip you had made 24 hours later, it's lost. It's over. It's the timeliness of it, which does it. So the world is now about why you need to listen is because you need to be agile enough to be to be able to respond. And that's they're entering an era in real time marketing for which most people are underprepared.
0: One quick question, you have been part of an industry which is always you know, drawn the best talent as far as creative talent is concerned, I would say. And now you have challenged, not just with your creative talent, but technological talent as well, to keep abreast of the movements that are happening on the digital. How is the industry now gearing up now that are, you also mentioned about the growth that you are going to envisage? Where is the talent going to come and how are you going to draw that talent?
1: So of one thing I lose my sleep about. In fact, if you ask any CEO of any agency, what's that one thing that you lose your sleep on and he or she will tell you its people and people related issues, right? I thought it was an India problem. I went to Asia Pacific and I then thought it was an Asia Pacific problem I now sit on my global exec and I now know it's a global problem and and the more I and then when you talk to clients global clients whether they are large FMCGs banks automakers whatever digital companies themselves Facebooks and Googles of the world's included etc it is a universal problem today everybody that you speak to is struggling to find the right kind of people and to retain them and in a way COVID has somewhat made it better but actually made it worse because many people have reevaluated the their life itself. They don't want to be doing a full-time job the way they were doing earlier or doing the same job that they were doing earlier, etc. So it's a real challenge and as far as the advertising industry is concerned, I think the one thing we've been guilty of is that We've not grown the universe as much as we should have. We've always concentrating on poaching from each other. Now that the, for us at least, the competitive set has kind of changed. We are no longer WPP, IPG, etc. Of course, we compete with in some areas, but in many areas, our competitors now. I'm finding our people are leaving, or we are hiring from both ways from an Infosys or a Cognizant or a TCS or a Deloitte or a Accenture, etc. Right. So the whole world with whom you're competing is also undergoing a change. You're not well prepared enough as an industry on that and the attrition rates, you know, we used to pride ourselves as a company that our attrition rate is lower. In India today, attrition rate in digital is over 50%, Correct. over 50% of a new agency. If you see any of the results declared by the majors, whether it is Infosys or Wipro or any of them, you'll see that their attrition rate quarter to quarter is going up. Every quarter it's going up, right? So it's an unprecedented talent shortage on the one hand and coupled by the fact that we haven't we have ourselves to blame because we've not concentrated on growing talent perhaps as much as we should have so we've we've kind of compounded that problem and that's going to be our biggest challenge for the next few years now partly for rest of the world we're trying to do offshoring wherever costs a lot of intelligent people very well qualified relatively cheaper often in pricing etc but you'll have to find innovative places on the good side today if i'm hiring it doesn't matter to me whether that candidate is in melbourne in mumbai or in Meerut, because anywhere you're on work from home more so the the captivity zone otherwise if you are hiring for Bombay you'll only Mumbai you'll only hire from in and around Bombay but suddenly now the world becomes your hiring zone talent in pool. that yeah the, your talent pool it's a huge problem I think one of the biggest problem the industry is facing but with every problem comes opportunity and the fact that geography is now history is one of those opportunities that is coming up.
0: You know, I'm seeing a trend which I saw in my industry, the healthcare and the digital and the tech side where you had a chief medical officer and a chief informatics officer and they never used to talk. And then it became the chief medical informatics officer where the roles got merged. In some of the banks and some of the clients that I made rounds on behalf of just to understand the market for one of my investing companies in the digital. There's a role of the chief marketing officer. There's a role of chief digital officer. And somewhere those roles are now pulling on each other to see who's going to really run the digital side of the business for their organization. Are you seeing certain remorphing of CXO roles given the spur of digitization in your clients or are you still going to target the CMOs?
1: For sure. Look, we used to largely only target and deal within the old world with the CMOs, right? That's where the advertising present in industry was largely you you met the CEO once in a while more as a courtesy or for some big thing or most of your thing would be with the brand managers or with the marketing managers with the CMO. And that's where with, with the advent of technology that's changing the role of the CMO himself or herself is also changing because you can ill afford to have a CMO today who is ignorant about technology, right? Where that, that person is not going to survive, whether it's a you mentioned bank or, or any other organization. They're just not going to be able to do that job if they're not good enough, at least on technology. I think the role of the CIO has become very important, and in many of the meetings today we are sitting with the CIO and the CMO together because there is no solution that you can provide, or there is no brief that can come into you which doesn't involve both the sides. There is what you want to communicate, how you want to communicate, but equally the platform in which you're going to communicate, how is that going to talk to the platforms that the company already has, etc., etc. needs, that technology input, and which is why on both sides, even on the agency side, the complexion of people carrying out the conversation has completely changed as well. It's no longer just one creative guy in a t-shirt and torn jeans going there and presenting a fantastic idea. I mean, you may have the world's best idea, but how's it going to integrate and and get into their platforms and will it will it even be allowed? Will it, etc., etc.? So it needs so you need a huge amount of tech capability both on the agency side and of course on the client side. And that's why the role of the CIO in what we used to call the traditional marketing space is becoming important. If you notice I began when you asked me what's the future for my agency. For example, I said I'm going to concentrate heavily on MarTech and on cloud marketing and on Adobe and on Salesforce. I didn't say I'm going to concentrate on how to make another 30 second commercial or a 100 CC ad, right? So concentrate on that. We need that kind of capability and why are we going to be doing that? Because we feel that that's what the client needs and that's what the client side also is heading towards. So. The whole industry is going to move into that direction and generally organizations are becoming more matrix. So there will be kind of a good matrix, hopefully, between the marketing side and the technology side, whatever type, whatever CXOs. You title them as. So let's say the CIO and the CMO will have to work much more hand in glove and in some instance may even be the same person one day, who knows, if you do have intelligent tech evolved people who are also good at marketing, you could have a new kind of a, a C-I-M-O or C-M-I-O or whatever evolving over a period of time and equally the agencies have to evolve that kind of talent.
0: A quick question on the agency side, with all the Facebooks and all these digital platforms creating their own make your whatever and bid. And- and run your a lot of the traditional role of the agency is now getting marginalized now it's only the creative aspect and the technological aspect of rolling the creativity do you think the ad agencies also need to transform to create those real-time oreo moments for their customers and have and you will need to have a carte blanche mandate on what they you could do on the brand rather than run it and 25 hours later you know run uh, the ad or run the creative
1: for sure for sure that there will has to be a transformation on the agency side and in fact any agency which is not not transforming you can almost be certain that they won't be in business even five years from now forget longer than that and some big giants are already You can see are going to become victims of that. This is a era where you'll see a minefield of dinosaurs emerging in just three to five years. Very, very big names that are toppling very rapidly because they haven't been able to change with times or haven't been able to think ahead of time. So definitely, definitely that's the direction of travel. What I would like my agency to be is I would like it to be the world's most integrated agency because all these divisions are actually headaches for the client. These are artificial divisions that we are putting that like you're saying this person is creative and this person is technology and this person is media and this person is planning and so on. Client is least bothered. What do they want? They want quick solutions. They wanted at a reasonable price and, and they want good people working on their business that's all they want it's very very simple 33 years ago when i joined advertising it used to be very integrated one day as a account executive on lever business i would go and get a brief on media another day i was getting a brief on creative third day maybe on pr or whatever and you came back and briefed the appropriate person and you were sort of responsible for making that happen over the years media fragmented then everything else pr fragmented events fragmented, outdoor fragmented, digital came in, everything else fragmented, etc, etc, right? So I think now the whole circle is going back in some ways and you definitely need the specialisms. You cannot go back to an era of generalisms, but you need all those specialisms to come together so that the client is not fighting silos, but you're able to give one solution under one window, which is where I am a big believer in one PNL or one Dentsu, as we call it, and our ambition clearly is that we want to be the world's most integrated agency. And I think that's really the future integrated, but integrated with the right skill sets, which you're able to bring in, you know, and solve the problem rather than sell your silo. I think that's the biggest challenge in front of agencies and whichever agency cracks it well will probably do better in the years to come.
0: One last question before we wind up, I know we are coming towards the end of our time. What's the model going to emerge now? You have this s ward and the a ward. So a ward, you're open to listening to the ads, you're open to all the whatever has been blasted to you, whether it's appropriate or inappropriate. And the s ward is no ads. As more digitization going to happen, what is going to be your view? Is the world going to get divided into different consumer cohorts, those who pay to see no ads, Ads and those who don't pay to see ads?
1: Look, the good thing in India is that it's never either or, it's always and. There'll be enough people, even if there's a relatively small percentage, there'll be enough people in the S ward camp as well as in the A ward camp. So you don't have to worry about that from an India perspective. Generally, it's hard to get too much of subscription generally because people are used to free content in India of course you have Netflix and of course and, and all of that is now changing to an extent but you know that's still three percent five percent of the country I've yet to see it the payment for content in in any significant manner I've yet to see it percolate down the you know as you, as you go down to let's say the 60 percent 70 percent 80 percent level it's I, I find it very noisy but restricted to the top five ten percent I have no evidence to see that it will go with that level down. So I think for a long time award will be very important, at least in terms of numbers. But having said that, even 5% of that consuming class, 5% of India, that consuming class is probably bigger than the consuming class of Europe or US or whatever. Right. So both are going to be very, very important and fairly significant in number, but the larger numbers for quite some time will be in the award area. Slowly, the S-word will start, will continue to grow.
0: Ashish, one last personal request. You know, content creators like us do a lot of things. And what's your message to content creators like us that we are pally with not just the platforms, but people like you as well, that the right messages go to the right cohorts? We also struggle with that same disease, by the way.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the one thing you should concentrate or do just concentrate on making great content because one thing I've seen in India when the content is great the consumer finds you so and know one thing about advertising for sure whichever be the medium whether it's television print digital or whatever advertising follows eyeballs you can't fool anybody for any long period of time. If there is great content, which is inviting great audience, it may come with a lag, but you will get advertising because sooner than later people realize everybody wants a good deal. People realize that, oh good, this is a area where we can get large number of people, very cheap today. Let's go lock it in and then that comes in. The moment that comes in, you'll say, okay, there's a lot of advertising coming in. Let me raise my prices and so on and so forth, right? So so it's a very nice uh, balance and counterbalance, but as a content creator, focus on what you are best at You're best at content. If you can create great content, people will search you out. If people are coming to you, advertising will search you out.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for that piece of advice. I would like to mention for our season three, there is going to be a message out in the media very soon. I guess even as soon as we end this podcast and make it live. Before I go, I'd like to thank Ashish. As always, you make us proud, our alum proud. You've been one entrepreneur who has seen the future and really betted on it. I guess you are going to be the next Balki of Rediffusion who moved into tech and in the first round of internet uh, era. I guess you're going to be the next Balki who's going to be there in the digital era. And I really wish you all the best and success for your initiative that you've taken to be one up ahead. And before I go, I'd like to thank our sponsors, our team that has made it possible and look forward to having you on our next podcast, which is on India and the triad with Dr. Jagdish said. Thanks and have a nice day.